if you were a trader and you were saying, I'm not going to trade here at all, and I'm only going to trade here, you will get worse execution on average if you are not factoring this in as like one of your venues that you want to access. Now, if you're the type of trader that's like, I sit on Bybit and I don't touch anything else, all my assets are there. Okay, cool. We're coming for you too. We're going to bring you across and say, don't be on Bybit for all of these reasons. And we're going to give you better execution, lower fees, mm -hmm. et cetera. All right, everyone. So on Empire, you obviously know that we talk a lot about the institutions coming into crypto. And that is why we are super excited to share that we are hosting the Digital Asset Summit. We've hosted this since 2019. It's coming up in London, March 18th to 20th. Don't miss your chance to get ahead of the curve. You can get 20% off with code EMPIRE20. We'll see you in London. This episode is brought to you by Toku, the first comprehensive global solution for both token compensation and tax compliance. Toku makes implementing global token compensation and incentive awards simple. With Toku, you get unmatched legal and tax support to both grant and administer your global team's tokens across the entire token lifecycle. Make your token grants easy today with Toku. All right, everyone, we've got uh, the benevolent dictator himself, Mr. Kane Warwick. Kane, welcome back on the show, man. Hey, what's happening, guys? What's up? Good to see you. Um, so I was trying to wrap my head around everything that you're doing with synthetics and, and Infinex. And it basically, uh, you've got all these experiments going on, right? Deploy to base, deploy to optimism, deploy, deploy Karina to Ethereum, uh, Andromeda to Ethereum, SNX chain on the OP stack. And the way I could best maybe summarize it is you spent five years working on the supply side with synthetics. Now you need to solve the demand side with Infinex. And I'd be, I think just the best starting place for this episode is maybe get us up to this point of like, how how do you see synthetics going into 2024? And then that can pivot us into this, this Infinex conversation. Right. Um, yeah, I was like, how many how many podcasts do we have here? Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Bex was like, you might only have an hour. And I was like, I don't, I'm not sure about that one. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Let's, let's see how we go. Um, so, um, I, look, I think the... The situation in synthetics today is we have product market fit in a, a single product in a way that we've probably never had before, like actual like longevity of product market fit, right? Like the thing's actually been working for like a while and we've tweaked it and improved it and it stayed working and the market's changed and it stayed working. And so I think that like this is something that uh, is is fairly novel in synthetics. You know, we've had like atomic swaps and like spot trading and like, you know, various things that like kind of worked for a while and then, you know, the market moves or, you know, something shifts and, and it doesn't work any longer. Um, I think obviously a big test of this is going to be uh, the upgrade and, and launch of Perps V3, this, this new Perps uh, um, upgrade. And I guess, you know, one thing that's kind of cool about it is it's like not actually that big of an upgrade. It's like four minor improvements in like multiple directions, but it's not like, all right, everyone, we got to totally change the entire model and like rip everything out and like reconfigure it because nothing's working. Um, it's like, it's, it's directionally working. Um, it's been working for a while. It's, it's like consistently gaining momentum. 
So now how do we sort of tweak this, right? And then obviously it's synthetic. So, you know, we have to make it harder by like picking a new network to deploy on and like a bunch of other stuff, right? But like in principle, it's it's the same thing, right? Um, And so that's kind of setting the scene, I guess, for like where synthetics is at now. Um, you know, in, in the end of 2023 going into 2024, it's like, we've got a system that's working. Um, you know, we are going to deploy this new, um, upgrade that just improves a bunch of things. Um, and then we're going to run some additional experiments in parallel to that. And, you know, one of them is like the collateral question, which is a huge question. You know, I mean, uh, Santiago, you know, you've, you've had, heard this debate for many years, right? About like, is SNX you know, good collateral? I was going to say, you know, it, it comes up time and time again, you know, it resurfaced during the uh, Luna FTX debacle, right? Everyone's like, well, how is synthetics any different? You know, it's being collateral. And, you know, maybe, I, I don't know if this is a good moment to do it because I think it would be actually super helpful for people to appreciate um, how synthetics has managed to survive all these years and thrive. Yeah, I, you know, what's the difference? Between, what's the difference between Luna and Synthetics? There's a couple of differences. Yes, they were uh, both systems that are collateralized by their own native token, which is worthless if the network doesn't work, right? Like that's the fundamental concern that I think every mid curve to like maybe if you're generous, right curve person that's had about this, right? You know, uh, and and like, it's like, yes, if the network fails, then it's worthless. All, like, just like definitionally, it, it has to be, right? The, the thing has value, the token has value because the network's working. If the network stops working, it has no value and the whole thing collapses, right? So when people are like, can it collapse? It's like, everything can collapse by that criteria. Right. Like if the criteria is like, if the thing stops working, does it stop working? Then yes, of course. Right. Like it stops working. Um, and so, you know, the question is like, what are the ways by which you can stop working? That's, that's the big thing. Right. And I think the, the difference between Luna and how Luna scaled up with this like Ponzi interest rate is if the interest rate even and like, I mean, there's some real world macro parallels over the last 18 months, right? But if the interest rate even looks like changing, does everyone instantly flee? And the answer in the case of Luna is like, yes, right? Like there were a couple of gestures of like, maybe we need to lower the interest rate. And it just creates this like rush out the door where it's like, whoa, I'm not going to get 20%. Well, then this is not worth the risk, right? Because the risk is like ruin. And so then you know, it's like, well, maybe we'll lower it to like 18% or like 16 or something like that. And everyone's like, this is, we see the direction this is going, right? And, you know, it's a game of musical chairs and all of a sudden the music, like, you know, they turn the volume down like by 10 decibels and everyone's like out of the room, right? Like it's just like fleeing. And so when you look at synthetics, you're like, okay, cool. So what is the, the mechanism by which that can happen? You know, and the mechanism by which it happens is fees stop being generated. If, if there's no more fees, then the token's worthless. If, if the fees go to zero, right? But it's not reflexive in the same way. Like the, the, the token price going down doesn't impact the fees. And, you know, fees going up doesn't necessarily impact the token price, right? Like they're related, but they're not like t- so tightly coupled. And so the reason why Synthetics has survived is it's had like fairly conservative parameters. You can only 
borrow so much. You can, you know, you have to have this like five times collateral ratio, right? Um, backing the network. And it's consistently produced revenue for, you know, a really long time. And like, that's, that's it. That's the secret sauce, right? Like the thing that stops it from collapsing has been consistent. And so when someone's like, but what if everyone stops trading? And it's like, well, if everyone stops trading, then it's worthless and you should shut it down and move on and do something else. Like, obviously. Right. And I guess to add a little bit more context to that, in the case now, as we know, Chai was an absolute wash. I mean, it was it was fake numbers and it was not even there there. Right. Uh, Chai Some of us knew like the, the whole consumer. time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I asked a number of times like, hey, because I was that actually was the most interesting thing from my perspective, it's like, okay, they're getting actual consumer. Whenever you see something claimed to have a lot of consumer traction, you're like, wait a minute. Like, well, we had a, we had a very combative episode with, do you remember that episode with, with, yeah, uh, yeah. with Joe? It was very, it was one of those combative episodes we've ever done on empire. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that was the, the big difference now. And, and, uh, um, anyways, I want to go back to obviously V3 perps and perps seem to be all the rage these days. And, Mm. You know, you have GMX, you have other copycats, as you call them, which, you know, uh, I'm curious, uh, maybe if you can touch a little bit on that, uh, you know, what's the main novelty historically, some of the challenges that have, um, you know, the challenges around deploying perps on chain and why it's different now. And, you know, what does the trader experience look like? Yeah, I mean, if I may, you know. I can't help but like get embroiled in the drama, right? Of of even the it wouldn't be a Kane episode if you know. So like, I find it so interesting, right? Like, you know, the the whole mechanism by which uh, Terra worked, right? And like, you know, I, I've tweeted about this before. Like, there was a period. Like, I'm a very petty person, right? Um, and you know, I hold grudges for a really long time. Like, you can even see that tweet tonight. Like, you know, uh, talking shit about Tezos, right? That's because, like, Arthur, like, fucking, like, brushed me one time in, like, 2018. And I'm like, one day I will get him back. And, you know, it's that, like, snarky tweet about, like, how dumb it was to use OCaml to, like, write your old blockchain. And, like, it's, like, so, it's very petty, right? But, like, you know, the thing that I always found interesting about Doe was, like, there, even from the very beginning when I when I met him, you know, I was sitting on stage next to him and um, Jordan was in the audience and it was five stable coins. Um, there was like a representative from Maker, I think someone from like Basis and, and they were kind of going through and they're like, what's your stable coin design? And um, I'm sitting there and I'm like the second last person to talk and Doe goes and he literally describes Haven. And I was like, what just happened? I look out, I like Jordan, who was like, you know, one of the other like, uh, early synthetics um, uh, people. And I was like, looking at him and he's looking at me like, is this real? Like, are you, and, and I was like, I was like, okay, cool. Like, but you know, but it's in Korea. And like, you know, I talked to him later and he's like, the, the angle is like payments, right? Where we like, we've got all these merchants or whatever. And I was like, okay, cool. And then like a year later, no merchant adoption, like nothing. Right. And then bear market hits, um, you know, real hard, like COVID, everyone's kind of disappeared or whatever. And I'm like chiseling this guy's grave. I'm like, you know, basis is gone. Terra is gone. Like, you know, all of these like Flamingo slash whatever 18 other names that it had is gone. Like, you know, all of these things are have disappeared. Um, and then all of a sudden Doe just comes back out of nowhere. And he's like, actually, no, like all of Korea is powered by this thing now. <laughs> and I was like, that's just like, 
not credible at all. Like how, like how is, and it then just goes out to a bunch of VCs and raises a ton of money on the fact that this claim that like there's 10 million people using this network for payments. And I was just like, that's, that's insane. Like how, how could we possibly like, surely someone can go to Korea and like disprove this, but like, there's something about Korea where like, it's impenetrable to people in the yeah. West. They like have no ability to like, you know, well, like, yeah. I'll tell you my side of the story. I met him at Stanford. He was, a, I think he had gone to Stanford. I met him at a cafe there. He was raising his seed. I'd invested in Haven as you know, and it, I was like, well, no, it sounds too, too similar. And then he was very combative. Anytime you pressed him hard on any diligence question, he had the knack and the ability to make you feel really stupid for asking the question. And I yeah. guess a lot of VCs when just like, like fall prey to that and be like, Sam, I think had a little bit of this too. And then he, for context, he went and did, so we copied the stable coin design. He then copied the, the, the with mirror i believe and i looked at yeah. mirror as well <laughs> and look it was a very sweet deal on a number of fronts it was like attractive the terms and whatnot and but i, I remember calling you and saying hey look uh i think uh it looks very similar to synthetics we're gonna have to pass on this and uh yeah one thing i did not want to do at the time was cross cane um <laughs> he can be benevolent but he can also that be not, yeah, leader. Yeah. yeah that would not have so, gone down well um kane with with some with synthetics, I mean, the way I understand V3 is, I mean, it's always it's always been a perps platform, but now you're getting into into spot, right? And there's this like kind of new approach. Well, it actually was spot. it was a spot platform, and and spot didn't work, right? Like that was the original the original. Well, thing. that's like, what I was going to ask is like why yeah. why come back to it? It feels like you're now there's this with Infinex and synthetics V3, kind of this goal to be on par with centralized exchanges. Um, the the new collateral model, which we were just talking about, and yeah. I, look, I think um, my my sense is that like perps remain the sort of breakout product, right? Um, mm. In uh, in in crypto today, right? And you know when I look around at the market, it's like what are the uh, you know things that DeFi can go and and you know credibly take from CFI and from centralized exchanges? Um, it's perps. You know, there's thirty, fifty plus billion a day in notional volume and DeFi is doing like a billion of it, right? Um, you know, maybe a little bit more on a good day. And so, you know, I look at that and I'm like, okay, like there's just a huge opportunity here to, to, you know, take that on versus say spot where like, I think DeFi has made better inroads, you know, Uniswap has, has done a really good job. Um, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of like aggregators of like different, you know, uh, like AMM platforms or whatever. Um, so, to, so to go after that mm. feels more challenging, I think, you know, which isn't to say we won't have spot tokens. I think there are use cases for like a synthetic uh, spot token, especially for things like bridging. But at the moment, the, the obvious focus has to be perps. Like that's the product that yeah. people care about and, and that will move markets, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. There are, so... If we accept the, you had this put one of your, one of your blog posts. It was like, if we accept the synthetics protocol um, needs to be where the users are, how does it get there? And there are these kind of three approaches that you guys laid out. I'd be curious how you, like how you made those. I think one of them was deploying, it was like fork it all the way, basically deploy a fork of synthetics on every single chain. The next was, I think, implement this, uh, it's like the unified liquidity theory. And the next one was, um, I don't remember the next one, something about minimizing 
messaging or so I've, you, you can tell me the third one, but I'd be curious about like how you thought about those three decisions and like how you came to the conclusion of what to actually do there. Well, so I think the, you know, we've always had this pretty grand vision, right. Of like, when we get to a point of, uh, multi-chain synthetics, that it needs to be a unified protocol. And that I think has been constrained by the fact that, uh, synthetics, if you lose the sort of fungibility of the network and, and of the tokens and, um, you know, of the debt pool and like, and all of these things, uh, it kind of breaks down. Right. And we, um, we had an aversion to just like kind of forking it and deploying it, um, onto different networks, uh, for a couple of reasons. One was like fragmenting liquidity because you also have this problem, like SNX is the only collateral and it's a finite resource, right? Like you can't really, fork the token onto every chain. Um, I mean, you could, but like, it doesn't even really solve the problem, right? Like it probably, you know, crypto inefficiency allows you to like get away with that for a little while. You can like fork it two or three times. Eventually people are going to catch on to like, wait, this is just the same thing. You're just yeah. printing more of it every time you go to a new network. So, um, so we had all these constraints where it was like, okay, um, you know, we need this like unified cross chain messaging thing. Um, and, Really, I think the actual answer was no, this collateral constraint of SNX and, and fragmented liquidity mm. is what's holding you back, right? Like we, we don't even have a credible path to this unified messaging like protocol where, you know, the state of every single deployment on every single chain is in sync. Like I, I don't think even, you know, Chainlink or, or any of, I don't think there's anyone out there who's doing cross-chain messaging who's like, yeah, we're about to nail that. Right. Like that's just a, a long term thing. And so it's like, yeah. OK, we can wait for that or we can, uh, you know, maybe pivot and try a different approach. And just for context here, because I remember you being one of the first ones to really start thinking about an L2, given how fee intensive synthetics was. You had to claim your back to fees. You had to claim your fees every Wednesday was I remember I had it. You know, you still do. Wednesday, you still do. Exactly. It's just it's like coffee, right? Just getting coffee. Every Wednesday you had to claim your fees and it was very expensive for many users. Um, and so you then start thinking about an L2. You become very close with the optimism team. People should go back and listen to some of those episodes. Now you're in a state where, okay, you know, you're deploying optimism. I think you're one of the first, if not the first. Um, and now you're facing a different kind of challenge. Um, you're, I, I think I'm looking now in an environment where over the last couple of weeks, the market's been, you know, up only. And some of in this market environment, which you've ne- not had, some of these mechanism designs start to crack. Like, uh, you know, because the, the bigger challenge that I think people don't appreciate in synthetics model is anytime you're minting and claiming these fees, you're essentially taking short on a market that can be a very volatile and you don't want to be caught. If you're always short on crypto, you can lose a lot of money, but the way that goes happens in the synthetics model is a bit different than a GMX model or some traditional kind of market maker being consistently short. Um, So I want to perhaps now or later dig into that distinction because I think it really ties into, can this perp really work on chain and can it scale? Um, yeah, because you always need to attract a pretty balanced market where people are taking both the long and the short, and the protocol is always net neutral because you don't want to be taking any market directionality. So uh, I think this is a, a really good question, and, and again, you know, I 
I, I tweeted about this uh, maybe like a couple of weeks ago where I was like, you know, I'm probably the person with the singest, single largest lifetime losses, right? Staking or, or LPing in a, in a non-delta neutral uh, derivatives protocol. And like, I, it's partially joke and partially like not even funny at all, right? Like the amount of money that I've lost is like in the tens of millions of dollars from staking and synthetics um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, the primary reason is that for the vast majority of its life until a couple of uh, synthetic CCs turned up and they were like, wait, what if we didn't have to have directional exposure, right? The, the old school synthetics way was, yeah, directional exposure is inevitable, right? Like you can't avoid it. If the market's going down, then people are going to want to be short. And if the market's going up, people are going to want to be long. And so your job as a staker is just to hedge this, right? To, you know, take your assets and, and hedge it. Um, now, that is easier said than done, right? And the market can move really quickly. And then, you know, also you do a couple of weird experiments and all of a sudden uh, the the skew in the network is maybe different to like your directional bias. And now like I'm long, but then the market's crashing. And as the market's crashing, my debt's going up. And so I'm losing money on my hedges and my my debt's actually increasing, right? Because of weird issues with like wrappers and we don't need to get into the details, but like we just didn't have a good way of scaling the collateral and scaling the, the um, you know, amount of... Um, uh, assets in the network without doing weird things like wrapping, which just increased this uh, skew in the in the network, right? It, it, it forced us to almost be like, no matter what direction the market was going, we were kind of positioned in the opposite direction, right? Um, and, and, you know, it had to do with curve pools and a whole bunch of weird stuff, right? Um, and then a couple of people came along and they were like, well, that's dumb, right? Why don't we actually build a mechanism where the market actually brings it back into alignment, right? Um, and, you know, we, we've been working on that for a while in this like perps um, thing and we tried to do it and uh, the first version didn't quite get it right. The incentives weren't you know, really aligned and then we tweaked it again. And this new version that's been operating now for like a year, uh, the latest version, it's like, you can look at some of the charts. Um, I don't have them here but maybe you guys can maybe we can track them down for you um but like they're like some of the most beautiful charts you you can imagine in crypto like it's just a line that like ticks along and there'll be like a little spike and then it comes back down a little spike and like the spikes are for like minutes or hours sometimes and it's just like this perfectly delta neutral long short thing that just keeps going and works um and this the upgrade the purpose of b3 upgrade just makes it even better you know, increases the incentive alignment for people to bring the market back in, into alignment. And so all of a sudden, what used to be, you know, this thing where you needed to get paid a ton of yield to justify taking the risk of staking in synthetics, all of a sudden now, like you actually have no market exposure. You don't have to hedge yourself at all. Like the thing hedges for you. Um, and the market has not yet worked this out. That like staking SNX is no longer this high risk activity it's actually a super low risk activity where, you know, you still have black swan exposure or something like that. But even in weird stuff like Ripple, you know, when that Ripple thing came out and Ripple spiked crazily and then crashed back down, then spiked again, the, the total exposure of the debt pool is like a million dollars. And and this is how funny it is, right? Like back in the day, losing a million dollars LPing in, in synthetics was like a Tuesday, 
Like it was not even like an event. Like it was just like, oh yeah, of course. Like we're up a million, we're down a million. Like it would, it was so volatile the debt pool. But all of a sudden, people got got so used to this that they were like up in arms that we lost. And I was like, guys, like losing a million dollars is like that's the entire network. That's you know, it's a it's a billion dollar mm-hmm. network, and we lost a million dollars in a day, right? And then people were like this that's is unacceptable. So right. it's just really evolved to a point where um, you know the expectation has just shifted mm-hmm. of you know what what you have to do but that's not the case for everyone right well not everyone has worked this out yet right and i i wanted to dig deeper into that mechanism and i guess for the uninitiated um you because perps are very novel to crypto historically it's a dom market that has been dominated by centralized exchanges primarily you know non-us now coinbase has launched their own uh but it's a really really capital efficient way to get exposure to a particular token um Historically, we, we talked about this in a prior episode, it's relied on this funding rate to keep kind of the market in check of rewarding um, any imbalance, right? Whether you're long, if the market's really long, it rewards someone to go short and vice versa with, a, with this funding rate mechanism, which is constantly dynamically adjusting based on kind of the flows. Um, can you talk about how that mechanism is working in synthetics um, and, and then go into kind of the differences between other protocols? Yeah, so I think the the perp design, right, that like Bitmex uh, initiated, it's really genius, right? Like it it you know solves a whole bunch of problems with futures that um, I think, like in terms of financial engineering, uh, you know, um, novelty or, or whatever. Like it's it's one of the most amazing things that's been done in crypto, right? Um, but the the way that you keep prices uh, in line, right, with um, with a traditional perp is, <clears throat> it, you know, people can keep buying, right? Um, you know, the the spot price of Bitcoin could be 30K, right? And because of leverage, if people are directionally long, like they can just keep pushing the price up. There's nothing to, stop, to say that the perp can't trade at like $50,000, right? Um, but there is, and this is the key uh, sort of mechanism design um, improvement, which is the funding rate. You can keep buying as, as long as you want, but keeping that position open will cost you an increasing amount of money to the point where it becomes punitive and you know, people are forced to sort of close their positions, right? Um, and so that is what keeps the spot price and the, the mark price of the, uh, of the perp, the derivative, in line. In a... a AMM style Oracle based uh, perp, this is not a problem for us. The spot price is the Oracle price. They're the same thing. Um, they can't actually deviate. Um, now, the problem with them not deviating is you've got a ton of DGENs with a bunch of leverage that want to go long Bitcoin and the price just stays 30K, right? They can just keep go- like just going, you know, you can hit that thing all day long and it goes 30K, 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 30K. And, you know, yeah, you've got all this directional exposure because you're not actually shifting the price away or, or you're mm. tamping down this, this thing. And so the mechanism that we use in synthetics is we say, if the market is directionally long and the skew in the market is skewed long, then those people pay the funding rate. Which is kind of the same mechanism of, you know, if the price is out of alignment, then, you know, the longs pay the shorts, right? Um, we don't have the price being out of alignment. What we have is the market being dislocated where there's too many longs and not enough shorts, right? Because you're not trading against each other. You're trading against the, yeah. you know, the AMM. Uh, and so that 
solution was the right solution. It just took a while to like dial in the exact parameters and, and we've got them dialed in now. And that's where I say this graph is like, as soon as someone comes along and, you know, hits that and gets this queue out of alignment, Arbors come in and just go, boop, mm -hmm. bring it straight back down. Um, so yeah, it, that's, that's the, how, that's how it works and, and why it works. Yeah. From a trader experience, um, the funding rate oftentimes has been less competitive on chain. Uh, and the fees of course have been higher. Um, are we closer now to parity? Um, well, certainly, I mean, there's a subset of users that refuse now to use certain, uh, perps because they don't want to use Binance or whatever. Um, yeah. but, but are we kind of, how close are we to being at parity with the exchange experience on the off-chain experience? Yeah. So I think like my, my intuition and, um, and, you know, I don't even know if this is, this is accurate, but my intuition for like perps that are based on this AMM model, um, is that the funding rate on average will, uh, approach zero as the open interest gets larger, right? Like because the dislocation of a single person coming in and like hitting, you know, a million dollar notional position just doesn't really move the dial, right? If you've got this huge bucket of open interest, you've got this tiny little thing that's kind of moving along, right? And that will compress the funding rates. And so the fact that funding rates are, I think on average, like in, in the large markets, I can only speak to synthetics, but it's like two to three times higher on average. Um, which is not amazing, right? Like that's, that's something that, you know, we should be aspiring to, to improve. I think people do sometimes get confused, uh, because they, they look at the like eight hour funding rate, um, on, on Binance or something like that, because the way the funding rates are, are kind of managed. Yeah. On, they're, they're also not uniform. Yeah. It's not uniform. It's a bit weird. You know, they've got different, different lengths of time for funding rate and, uh, their discrete intervals versus like continuous funding. My, my view is honestly continuous funding, uh, is, is a like feature, right? Um, it's not a bug and, and, mm -hmm. you know, these discrete eight hour intervals, even though it gives you in theory, uh, like more certainty, uh, you know, as a, an arbitrager or whatever of what the funding rate will be, it's actually an inefficiency in the market. The market actually can be less efficient because you're not reflecting the actual current state. You've got this weird eight hour lag of like where the, the state is. Um, and so you end up with these kind of swings around those points where the funding rate changes, where people are closing and opening positions and, and it just creates market inefficiency. So like having anything in continuous time is, is going to be more accurate. So, um, I think it's an improvement, but it does cause people to get a bit freaked out because they're like, oh, the funding rate is this, which is the continuous like one hour funding rate versus like mm -hmm. an eight hour, whatever. Um, yeah. But if we had, you know, a billion dollars of open interest in the, the you know, BTC uh, uh, perp market on synthetics, I think the funding rate would drop down to, you know, close to or, or maybe even less than. We don't really know. You kind of need to see empirically how the market responds, mm -hmm. but like, it would compress it significantly, right? The open interest mm -hmm. now is is much, much smaller than most of the purple. It's just a function of size, right? Yeah. yeah, like in theory, right? Like you don't know how in people theory, are going to react yeah. because if you jack it up, then maybe someone comes in and like hits you with a $100 million yeah. notional trade, which great. I would love that. That would be awesome. Um, but, you know, we don't, we will sort of see like over time it has compressed a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what kind of uh, traders are, how would you kind of characterize the pool of traders that are using this? Um, so is, <laughs> this is a, this this is an interesting question because I have no idea. Um, I've been for the last 
uh, five or six years um, operating in an environment where we do not uh, talk to users uh, nor really care about their preferences. Is we that build things in a vacuum. Arcane? Like, is that just because <laughs> yes. you have like, when, like, it, like yeah. if you build an app in fintech, you you have so much first party data on those users. You have none of that in DeFi, and it's just not worth the headache to try to figure it out. Like, it's even maybe worse, right? In synthetic, we went out of our way to completely uh, block the ability to capture any customer data. Like, we actually like disconnect. You know, we had heat maps and stuff in the early days, and we like there was a little bit of uh, kind of uproar like back in like 2019 or something like that and and i i was like you know what actually this is fair like if the purpose of this is for it to be this you know open permissionless thing why are we capturing all this like metadata about people we shouldn't be doing that and so, so that's what user off. data but, like, but, but you certainly have data. you certainly have the ability to understand okay the average user that is using this perp and synthetics also is interactive with gmx um, as finance, uh, his average yeah. wallet here is, uh, you know, 10,000 and, or you kind of segment it into wallet sizes, uh, and perhaps yeah, you, you, start you can do that. The question is, do you, do you do that? Right. Uh, yeah. and certainly in the case of, I think, you know, I can only speak for synthetics. Like we didn't make an effort to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it just wasn't something that, that we did, um, which is, it's its own thing, I guess. Uh, but what's interesting um, is over the last like three months, as we've been working on Infinex, um, there is a different social contract. At least like this, it feels like implicitly there is, right? Um, if you turn up and you put a username, password, email, you know, in and create an account there, and obviously, you know, you need to sort of accept that there's going to be some, you know, tracking or whatever, it's a bit different to like turning up to what is supposed to be a very thin client layer in the form of like a, a DeFi DAP that really shouldn't be like tracking you or doing or storing information about you or whatever. It's just supposed to be a very thin layer that sits on top of the contracts. At least ideologically, that was my view, maybe wrongly, but like that's just kind of the view that we've had. Um, but if you've got like this rich web to like experience where you're actually inside of a platform and the platform is giving you access to the things, it feels much more reasonable to identify what users are doing and like, what are they clicking on? What are they not clicking on? Where are they getting confused? And, and so all of a sudden, you know, um, we've got people that are like doing user interviews and it's hilarious because like, you know, people are saying things that I'm like, huh, that would have been good to know that <laughs> that was a thing. Like, never occurred to us really to like talk to people you know we talk to them in discord but like yeah it's not very it's well, not a yeah. structured synthetics discord is not exactly negative well thing. they're very vocal i guess it's not very user inter- all right everyone so we talk a lot about the institutions coming into crypto on empire santi and i are both headed out to london march 18th to 20th for blockworks's eighth ever digital asset summit das this is an institutional buttoned up conference that we've hosted since 2019. I like to joke that it is probably the last remaining kind of suit and tie event in crypto. People are still wearing suit and tie. It's pretty funny, but you'll actually hear from a lot of the largest institutions in the world coming from Standard Charter, FIS, JP Morgan, Framework folks coming out, Wintermute, Van Eck, Goldman Sachs. There are a couple big themes of this conference. One, Bitcoin catalysts, the halving and the spot ETF. Two, a V1 
view from the buy side. Three, RWA's tokenization and stablecoins. Four, global regulatory frameworks. Five, institutional infrastructure, including banking and payments. And six, the macro case for crypto. If you have anything to do with the institutional side of crypto, you have to be there. Santi and I got your back. We hooked you up with a 20% off code. It is Empire20. There is a little competition running internally at BlockWorks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So help Santi and I out. Register with our code and you get 20% off. That is Empire20. This episode is brought to you by Toku, the first comprehensive global solution for token compensation and tax compliance. If you say yes to any of the following four questions, Toku is a no-brainer solution for you. Number one, are you planning to launch a token? Number two, is your token already live? Number three, are you currently granting your employees or contractors vesting token awards? And number four, are you trying to figure out how to take care of taxable token events for your team? If yes, you have to get in touch with the Toku team. Toku to high level makes implementing global token compensation and incentive awards simple. You get unmatched legal and tax support to both grant and administer your global team's tokens. Toku navigates this across the entire token lifecycle, from easy-to-use token grant, award templates, through tracking vesting to managing tax withholdings. Toku makes it simple for leading companies in the space, including Protocol Labs, DYDX Foundation, Minna Foundation, Hedera, Gnosis Safe, Gitcoin, and many more. Reach out to Toku, that is toku.com forward slash empire, T-O-K-U.com forward slash empire. Click the link in the description or DM me on Twitter and I'll get you connected to the team. I have one more question actually about synthetics before we before we move on to Infinex stuff. Um, we were talking about optimism. Kane, why? What, like when you think about L1s and just like the execution layer, in a perfect world, users would just go to the best product right? And they wouldn't really care about the execution layer. But it's clear because databases have tokens that they do care about the execution layer. How I'd just be curious to get your updated view on like how long this kind of fragment fragmentation of users at the ex- execution layer lasts. Until someone comes along and aggregates the users at a layer higher than the execution layer. Hmm. And that like, that's not supposed to be like a cryptic response, right? Like at the moment, this is the way that we interact, right? Most of DeFi interacts with, with uh, smart contracts, right? We have our own wallet that we own, right? Um, we have like a plugin or, um, you know, a hardware wallet or some combination of, of those. And we turn up to Aave, right? Or Uniswap or whatever. And we click connect wallet. And I take my thing that I own that I control, right? Whether it's a plugin or my browser or, or, you know, it's a hardware wallet and we click connect. I connect my thing. I do my thing and I disconnect bang. And the relationship is like very transact, like transactional in a way that doesn't exist anywhere else. Right. And then I go to a different app and I click that and I connect and I do the thing and I disconnect. There is no sort of longevity of, relationship there like i'm not like a a user on the platform of ave the way that i am like a user on the platform of like instagram where like i have an account and i go to the thing and like the information's in that thing and so there's no way to really aggregate users or uh or aggregate you know even liquidity or assets or whatever right and so one of the things that i think about infinex that we will be able to do is we will be able to say you have an infinex account you, you sign into that account. It's your username and password that you put in. Once you put that in, 
you turn up and there's a whole menu of things that you can do. One is perps. One might be spot. It might be spot via Uniswap. It might be spot via CowSwap. It might be spot via some aggregator or something like that, right? You can also stake ETH. It might be Lido. It might be Rocket Pool. It might be you know an aggregator of both of them, right? But you will have your assets on that platform. When you think, I want to go and do a thing, you will not think, let me go and grab my piece of hardware where all of my things exist and bring that to the platform connected and then disconnect it. You will just log in and all of your stuff is there and you just choose the thing that you want to do. And all of a sudden we'll have like aggregation of users and of the user assets in a permissionless layer, right? Like it's still non-custodial We're we're not doing a, a CFI thing where we're like trapping their assets in a database and taking control of them. But we're going to have this like, aggregation layer that sits on top of all of these smart contracts and will be able to present to users new things as they arise like friend tech or yeah. you know, some novel thing right and like until that happens people are going to exist on their favorite place where they like to connect their wallet right like mm-hmm. i connect my wallet to things that are on arbitrum like that's a sensible thing to think in 2023. I don't know if that will be a sensible thing to think for the average user in 2025. Hopefully not. <laughs> well, I mean, exchanges have been, um, if, if you look at the behavior that has happened in certain moments of time, like when Binance launched BSC, like all of a sudden all their users just went to BSC. They didn't know any better, I guess. Um, and Coinbase has also been at times very opinionated in which L2s, it allows direct withdrawals. And so you know, Yano, I, my view is we're just so early. Everyone's kind of a beta tester. When you, once you get like 10, 20, 30, 50 million people, that, that's the type of user that will just absolutely no care. may not even know what Ethereum or Solana is. You just will want to do stuff. Um, and Kane, so, so you launch Infinix. Um, I remember you called me and said, I'm kind of, I think it's now's the time to really allow users to deliver an experience, to aggregate it and kind of curate. Is it fair to say, um, your role at that point is when someone logs in and creates an account, you are curating the menu of things that show up, right? Uh, in a similar manner, when the first iPhone came out, you know, Apple had a say and still very much does on which apps show up, um, what you can do and not do. You're potentially taking a view on which apps are secure, vetted, which are not. Um what so is that true and also kind of what role as a developer do you take in in this type in this protocol and how does a user experience compare to some of the other products that have been around for a while like uh some of the easier wallets like argent and phantom and some of these others that have been around for a while but you know i think all of them is especially like argent like kind of has hit in my point like uh, like a wall, it hasn't scaled as much as I would have hoped. Yeah, it's it's a good question why like the wallet thing hasn't worked, right? Um, my my sense is that one of the reasons is that the vast majority of people in crypto, uh, for a long time at least, right, do most of their transactions on a desktop, like or laptop, like that's like, you know, it's in browser, right? Like that's, that's just where most of the activity happens and trying to migrate them on there when a lot of dApps, like the, the you know, uh, mobile app experience is, is very, uh, 
week, I would say, right, um, you know, is, is challenging, right? And like every time people try and do that, it's, it's just a hard thing to shake, right? Um, but I think that also has to do with like signing and like, you know, custody and, and a whole bunch of uh, things. So um, the question of like, why will this work versus something else? I think the primary thing in my mind is that you need to have a product that people want to use, like that they're desperate to use, right? And at the moment, uh, people really want to use perps, right? Um, there's a ton of people using perps. 95% of the volume that's happening is happening in centralized exchanges in people's databases, right? And most people, it's not that it's inaccessible to them. It's just not really like a, a good UX to justify them moving, right? They're willing to take the risk of getting rugged by a centralized exchange, uh, which is, you know, not even like a crazy idea, you know, in, in 2023, given what just happened so recently. And yet people are willing to take that risk because the UX is just not there for, uh, for DeFi. And so if we can get the onboarding and user experience up to the same level, uh, like the web two level that people expect from uh, like a, a centralized exchange, then I think that can be the wedge that we drive in to really kind of bring some users uh, onto the platform. And having done that, once you've got a user base with their assets there, right? It's hard to get people to migrate their assets to your wallet when they're already kind of on MetaMask or they're on, you know, a hardware wallet or whatever, right? Like that's probably been the hard thing, I, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but once the assets are there, then you just, it's a distribution channel. So to your point around like the app store, yeah, probably it starts curated. But one of the mm -hmm. things we've already done as we've decentralized governance very rapidly has been to allow people to earn governance points from being a CFI trader, from you know, potentially mm -hmm. being like a Uniswap trader from mm -hmm. being a GMX trader. And so, uh, you know, the next thing that we add, let's say it's staking, right? So now if you are, uh, you know, a Lido staker or a Rocket Pool staker, or even like a solo validator, you'll be able to earn governance points. And why do we do that? Because we want the people who are doing these things to be participating in the ecosystem and, and deciding which of the integrations are, sort of most optimal, right? And helping to vet them. So it's this like, you know, governance curated app store mm -hmm. of every DeFi app, if you will. Yeah. And the revenue model for you guys is you're taking some commission off of user underlying user activity. So if they're using going to Uniswap, you take part of the swap fee um, or you strike referral programs with these protocols just on a per user basis. How does the monetization work? Yeah, so perps is easy because there's already a mechanism for this, right? Like there's mm -hmm. there's rev share kind of baked in um, with these protocols. Um, you know, Uniswap just added a uh, you know and um, just added a uh, front end fee, right? Um, you know, things like um, Liquidity have had like this front end integration fee for a long time. I think the more aggregators there are, the more pressure there will be because if you have two lending protocols and one has this baked in and the other one doesn't, well, I can tell you which way governance is going to go, right? Um, you know, if Aave implements a 10% you know, referral fee, the governance point holders are going to be like, well, we're going to Aave. Like, that's just what's mm -hmm. happening. Yeah. Um, I, I saw a tweet of yours uh, not too long ago. It said, there's a, there's a huge process to s select 
the initial delegates, I believe. And, and you came out of that. I think there was a lot of reception. There was a lot of excitement, a lot within, from within the synthetics community. And then, and then you tweeted, my God, this is really painful. And uh, something to the effect of we need better tools to identify really good delegates. And my question was, well, you, and my response to that was, I totally agree. I think when we find this type of tool, it will help fix democracy. <laughs> um, and, and I think this is a broad discussion. Like, I mean, I think, look, every protocol out there at some point has a DAO, decentralizes governance. There's decisions that need to be made. You can be protocol light or protocol heavy. There still needs to be some sort of DAO that, you know, um, for decentralization purposes and, and, and taking some sort of action on these decisions. Um What's the your just now overall kind of house view on DAOs and governance and how do we go from here? Because I think, uh, especially in bear markets, the attention really wanes, and you know uh, that can. There are a whole host of vectors in DAO governance that I think ha- haven't surfaced but are there. Um, especially, I worry in a bull market, some of these vectors probably will get exploited um, uh, once the like. You know, the, these DAOs control sizable treasuries, can make protocol upgrades. I mean, it's uh, some of them perhaps haven't been as carefully architected and it might expose some pretty big cracks um, now or down the road. And then the participation rate has been zero. So anyways, loaded question, but um, what's the house view on DAOs? Yeah, it, look, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. I'm, you know, somehow I've been able to maintain like my naivete around uh governance in spite of like years of being beaten over the head with uh all of the governance problems and you know even like thinking about a bear market i I said this uh you know as the market kind of turned um a couple of years ago for for DeFi certainly um like now is the time right in a bull market no one's ever going to focus on governance right like everyone's like scrambling around to you know catch the money falling out of the sky, right? Like governance is the, the least of our concerns. And in in uh, the bear market, like we need to focus on that. I, look, I don't even want to say that we've made an attempt at that. And, and like I'll, I'll hold synthetics particularly to task here, right? Um, synthetics over the last, I would say 18 months has had the least governance upgrades of its life, right? So we've had 18 months of bear market you know, kind of down only. And in the lifetime of synthetics, it's done less to upgrade its governance than it's ever done, right? At any other time. And I I just th- like, I think the incentives are just not there, right? Like it, what I've realized is it actually requires someone, you know, driving that, like you need someone who's mandated to, to drive that and like force people to like make, because it, it doesn't matter whether it's a bear market or a bull market, it's never going to be the sexiest, most urgent thing to do. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, how, how you get a community to like invest in governance improvements. I just, I don't know the answer to that. And that it's probably the thing that I'm most concerned about uh, mm-hmm. just in decentralized governance. In general. Well, that's interesting because if I remember correctly, your governance was very active historically in bear markets. Like the first 2017, I mean, it was a huge haven to synthetics overhaul. Yeah. Look, a lot of it perhaps was the core team, the haven team, uh, and yeah. other people that surfaced from within the community and the the Discord. But then over time, we've had other kind of ups and downs. And 
I just remember the the amount of upgrades on this sort of cadence of every three months or so. But so, yeah, so I, I think just to be clear, right? Like governance is as lively, if not more lively, than it's ever been. But it's static, right? Like there is no attempt to improve the governance, right? So it's like we have all of these governance issues and and you know um, things that should be improved. Like the most obvious one with synthetics is the uh, the protocol DAO. Right. Protocol DAO is the multi-sig that governs the thing. And, you know, I've been saying for years, we need to get rid of this. We need a, a mechanism to bring this fully on chain. Right. And, you know, it's 2023, almost the end of 2023. And yet here we are. It hasn't mm-hmm. happened. Right. Um, yeah. And it's like investing in something like that is just never going to be the highest priority. Um, so, you know, and, and in like, in spite of like the regulatory environment and like all the pressure that's coming, like, we're still not trying to like push further decentralization. Um, it's, it's just a bit scary. And, and like, when I look back, like, where did it come from? As you say, it came from like probably three or four people in the community, including myself, who just like were obnoxiously agitating for, we need to improve this. We need to improve this. We need to improve this. And when those voices, you know, are not active all the time it, it shifts into this like kind of business as usual mode of like okay governance works and like you know no one's trying to like pick it apart and like work out what are the edge cases and the attack vectors here's a thought experiment because at one point you left the synthetics council or you know your role as a sort of top-down command you end up going a benevolent dictator take I'm, I'm taking a, a less active role, and then you have to come back after a year or so uh, saying, no, actually, I think there needs to be a little bit more handholding here and, and top-down directive. And I think it's that tension of, look, for better or for worse, the regulatory environment has dictated decentralized as quickly and humanly fast as possible. And I think that comes with a serious trade-off of the cadence by which you ship, the, like, I unfortunately think, said differently if you invert. If the regulatory environment was not such, I think you would not see this push towards rapid decentralization on the governance side. And you would more take an approach of Web2, which is like, for instance, Alluvium, your brother, like games, like just like, what are you decentralizing? The community has no say, doesn't know how to build a fucking game. They know how to play it, hopefully. But like, there's a very talented team of artists, creators that needs to run ship. Right. Even the I've been on the council there. I think I was the longest standing council member there for and the quality of the conversation was like, God, this is like talking to like kindergartners. Like I'm like, there's no I look it's, at, I look it's at happening Reddit, everywhere. I think everyone feels yeah, that but that's what I'm saying. Like the, I'm like, there's no business for us to be talking about this. Like I can I can if you have an issue, you can call me and I can hopefully hear you out and be a therapist as an investor, not get in the way. But I'm not here to like, you know what I mean? Like if you're putting a responsibility for me to vote on these, like, I'm sorry, but it's above my pay grade. You know what I mean? And my question, (laughs) so that was the context for all of this. The question really is if we can get some regulatory clarity where tokens can actually have a fee revenue generation model can be kind of these hybrid, whatever we want to call them. And we don't have to dance around this decentralization theater that happens at times. Do you think that a, the type of, like, how would you wave in that scenario? How would you go about like re-architecting governance or do you even need to have these things? You know, I, I sometimes wonder whether like the, the 
very adversarial and progressively more adversarial environment is actually not uh, like a, a feature, right? As painful as it is, it's it's like natural selection, right? Um, there's this forcing function uh, that's sort of culling the weak, if you will, right? The the you know the projects that are not willing to decentralize or or this chilling effect, right? Of um, and forcing everyone to like actually be decentralized in a way that I think if regulators were like, this is amazing, this is the best thing ever, we would be completely centralized. Like, what would be the what would be the the incentive to be decentralized if regulators were like, yeah, great, keep going. Like, it would be just FTXs all the way down. Um, you know, I, like. Well, what, I want to challenge that because I think you. Sure. The problem with FTX was transparency. I think. Yes. Now, if you have an environment where you start, you build in the open, it's an open source project. You know, I think you can verify proof of funds. You can verify the source code. You can verify all For these sure. things um, while still, you know, maintaining control. And I think if, if as a token holder, I think we can crystallize the type of like governance rights that a token may have. Now, of course, a lot of people, there was no board in FTX. Like it was just yeah. like. But I think, um, I mean, look, FTX is, yeah. it, but like Luna's extreme. Luna's not far off though, right? Like Luna was its own blockchain, right? How did Doe manage to centralize that thing so effectively? And yet it was like a blockchain. It's pretty impressive, right? Um, you know, people will find a way to maintain control and, and hold. And so if there was not a forcing function, like this is about control, right? For me, the decentralization is, about ensuring that you do not have like some top-down hierarchical control mechanism. That's what, like, I think it's a, a better coordination mechanism, right? And sure. so if we're not using it for coordination, if we're just using it for like open sourcing the software and making it available or whatever, that's about, that's valuable. And I think that would continue, right? Like people would deploy things like Uniswap or, or you know, whatever, right? Um, and maybe we'd have more stuff like that. But the, the, the interesting thing to me, or one of the most interesting things is like, how do you actually decide what to do? Like, what's the coordination mechanism? And I think the having regulators who say, you know, if this person controls this thing, I'm coming after them. All of a sudden you have to be like, well, whoa, how am I supposed to do stuff if I don't control it? Yeah. That's well, not to... a thing that we've had to deal with. Like corporations is like, no, I control it. I'm the guy, I'm the CEO. I control it. I do, you know, you can yeah. be the CEO of like a Linux distro and you release everything open source and you have like some weird revenue model, but the control and decision-making process is still top-down hierarchical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, so, yeah. I guess what you're saying is that comes at, a, at the expense of like efficiency. And, and that's, that's just the necessary trade-off that one does when you try to build in a decentralized open source context. So I, I won't, uh, <laughs> no, I will actually, like, uh, I was going to say, I'm not, I'm not going to explicitly call this out, but like, I have a thesis, right? That if we had not been under such duress, right, to decentralized decision-making, that the vast majority of projects and like, let's take Ethereum, right? And, you know, I'm sure some people will be like, no, this is not right. But honestly, I think if the Ethereum uh, 
core devs had been operating in like a single room together in an office working on you know some of the problems like plasma whatever right like we would have we would have gotten to the merge and and we'd be where we are today like in 2018 right the fact that it was this like distributed coordination mechanism where no one was allowed to have control and what you know and like i i would argue vitalik had significant power right if not control over those decisions but like the latency of communication and how everything flowed versus like what you see if you have you know a startup where there's 20 people in a room and they're just like focused on this thing uh i think it would have been a very different outcome and a very much faster outcome and part of my reasoning behind that is i've seen the same organization in two different structures one with like more uncertainty deliver faster this is synthetics now i'm talking about right you know we had more uncertainty in 2018 2019 and we delivered faster the wrong things to be fair but like we coordinated around the things that we were trying to deliver so much faster and so much more efficiently than we do today even though today we have much better sense of where we're going and like we've narrowed the problem space and and you know it's clear what thing is and it's like and it's crazy because i actually sit there with people in infinex right and you know infinex is consuming this protocol and so infinex will be like hey um have you guys thought about this thing like we need this thing to work this way right and there'll be some conversation that happens right and you can literally plot the conversation from five people in a room that are like we need this thing and it goes and then it literally goes and two weeks later it's back to those people being like yes it's like insane how high latency this is like it's like you would sit there and think like i'm actually joking and i swear to you i'm not i've seen it happen multiple times because trying to coordinate things in like different people like we like the three of us we've got three different time zones it's midnight for yeah. me. It's it's seven a.m. Like you know, like it's just so much harder. And I think mm-hmm. people massively underestimate how much harder it is. And I've like watched these things in parallel, and I, like it's blown my mind. Is that a? I mean, it sounds a lot like a bug. Is there some feature component to that where you might surface more insights because of this wisdom of the crowds? <laughs> you're now allowing no. more people. There's I mean, because because no because the the academic theoretical might say. Well, you know, you're pushing decision making to the nodes, and the nodes really know better. But sometimes, like, I'm yeah, but no great things ever got this, no great things ever got built by this, a committee, and that's what's happening well, in jazz right now. Well, look, I mean, I think it's an interesting socioeconomic like, this, this coordination experiment that is happening in blockchains is really fascinating. Anyone should just yeah. be paying attention. It's like because 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 the coordination is marginally faster, more incentivized because there's real value skin in the game. But in spite of that, people are like, it's still really slow. And you could say the same thing about a democracy. In theory, when you're voting and people vote with their feet, but when they're voting, it impacts their taxes, their schools, their hospitals. Like, And still they don't even show up to vote or vote for, mm. you know, terrible people. <laughs> uh, it, it's really shocking. So I, I I think this wisdom of the crowds idea is so popular in crypto, but people don't really understand but it, that. But it sounds like Kane is arguing. Kane, are you arguing that um, would, for when you, when you think about DAOs, like it sounds like mostly bugs, but there is this one overarching like good feature, which is it's a pro- 
a protective feature against centralization of power? I think my my theory of of what the feature is is that you go slower, right? And you you go down fewer dead ends, let's say, right? Like while I was running synthetics as, you know, the dictator, the actual dictator, right? We went down many dead ends, right? Because you're sort of biased towards action and you're like, let's try this thing. And you, you know, and so there's a lot of wasted resources, I would say, right? And having like unilateral power uh, just creates that kind of problem. Um, at least in, you know, again, it's one, one data point, right? But like you see more of that. Um, and by forcing people, and I was trying to explain this to, to some people at Infinex today, right? Like by forcing people to go through a process of approval that really needs to represent like the overall constituents in the the thing that they're building, um, it like, I think it, it puts a level of rigor on, on the thinking um, that sometimes can slip in like a startup environment where it's like move fast and break things, right? Like it's like, move fast, break fewer things, ideally. So like, that's the feature. But the thing that I'm describing is like, just not even that. I think you can, I think you can have like a, a, a fast moving thing and then it does a whole bunch of things and then it turns up and it's like, what do you think of this? And then you have this mechanism where it's like, yeah, not quite, go back and try it again, right? Hmm. And so if the if the thing that's like, trying to do all the coordination and solve the problems is a group of people in a room. And it's like every day they turn up and they're like, we think we solved it. Right. And then the, the people that are vetting the solution are like, mm, you didn't quite get it there. Right. It's much easier to sit there and like judge the solution and like make a decision as to whether or not it's like fit for purpose than it is to actually solve it. Right. And if the solving takes like two months because the people are spread all around the world in like 80 different time zones, then, you know, you have the solvers going out and then they come up and they're like, does this work? And, and people are like, no. And it's like, okay, cool. We'll see you in a year. And then they come back and it's like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, no, like we have to have quick solvers and then still the mechanism that like vets the solution. Hmm. Um, yeah. If the solvers are the people who vet the solution, they can lose their minds and they can go off and be like, we've solved <laughs> it. And they're off in the wrong direction, yeah. right? You need to check on power there. Um, and that's where I think the DAOs, like that's where synthetics works you know and and it forces the the solution to be like vetted and make sure that all of the people are accounted for um it's not like it's not perfect but like i think it's a novel way of coordinating things yeah how would you go about solving some of the challenges um look i hear you on the higher high higher rigor as it comes to decision making more accountability on chain like you're voting it's registered recorded People now understand how you vote. And, you know, I think in the case of Alluvium DAO, for instance, um, you know, as every three months or so, you get a rotation, right? So if the community doesn't like you, you're out, right? So there's higher degree of accountability than there is in, I guess, other political systems. Um, but how would you go about just going, like, increasing the cadence of shipping of, you know, just actual output from a DAO? I mean, the thing that I was complaining about is a, a single person who has been on multiple different councils, 
in multiple different uh, capacities, right? And I can only assume at this point it's just like grifting, right? Like just grifting DAOs, right? Like you get the DAO type and you turn up and like, you know, maybe you do some stuff. And I think like this person, the first couple of epochs that they were on, you know, the synthetics council, they were fairly involved. And then for whatever reason, just stopped being involved, right? And so when out of nowhere in the last minute, they uh, got elected to the um, Infinex council, I was just like, what are we doing? Like, how does no, how did, how have we forgotten about this person, right? Like, how are we letting them surely? And it's because it was a new set of voters. It was like a novel set of voters. And they were just like, this guy has a large following on Twitter. Like, it's got to be legit, right? And there was no other, like, kind of background to, like, bet this person, like, has grifted 18 councils over the last five years or something like that, right? And so, anyway, so I was like, maybe, you know, they've turned over a new leaf, like, let's see. And so I, I DM them and I was like, hey, like, what's your plan here? Um, and they were like, my plan's to participate. It's going to be great, whatever. Literally today, the first call doesn't show up. And I was just like, <laughs> like, and so yeah, yeah. the next thing is like, come up with a mechanism to dismiss people if they don't actually like have criteria that people need to meet. And if yeah. you don't, you know, if, if the government's in session and you don't turn up, then pff, you're gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to transition a bit into just kind of what your um, near to medium term outlook is for the type of activity that we'll see in Infinex, like, you know, or sounds like more engagement and interest is there, stablecoin activity is rising, you know, are we, you know, like people are more optimistic. Um, what can we expect to see in, or what are you seeing, I guess, at the protocol level in terms of new signups uh, and interactions? Um, on the app so uh we haven't yet in my opinion at least measured the things that we will measure post-launch right um we've got a mailing list of like two hundred thousand plus people um that have signed up um the vast vast majority are airdrop hunters i, I can only assume um but of those people we've been able to like get some decent data that like there's solidly like high single digit thousands that are legit traders that you know have then either connected an api from like binance to show that they've got trading volume on binance like it's not pure airdrop hunting right they're people that that are actual traders that want to access the platform so we've got this interesting thing where like it's going to be a closed uh you know waiting list process to, like get on right and you know people want to, it's a new thing like of course people want access same way that they wanted access to friend tech or whatever um it's just going to be much more gated because of the way that margining works and, you know, there's a finite mm -hmm. amount of margin to access, et cetera, um, you're, you're not going to be able to, you know, get 50 invites a day to, to kind of add people. Um, so we're sort of seeing the demand come from real people. Um, but ultimately, like our North Star is there's $50 billion of notional on CFI daily. Perp. We want that. Perps volume notional. Perp volume, like, yeah. That's yeah. what we want. Yeah. What's the highest day recorded synthetics just for comparison? I think just north of a billion, um, if I remember correctly, like 800. But, you know, there were incentives for a while. So I think we need to probably like yeah, yeah, yeah. unincentivized highest volume, like circa 500 mil, maybe 600 mil, okay. I think. Um, That's not true. So, yeah, no, it's not. It's not nothing. But like it's still, you know, yeah. single digit percentages of, of the yeah. big pie. Right. So, yeah. And I want to go just back to something that I want to crystallize in people's minds is 
like why would if if the funding rate is not as competitive as in a centralized exchange could just enumerate kind of the reasons why you'd want to go on chain one is i guess you're it's incentivized so you're you're in hopes earning some sort of reward which is okay at some point higher volume leads to more capital efficiency and then you kind of bootstrap your way to that the other one is just the the mechanisms transparent at times or centralized exchanges haven't been as forthcoming or have defrauded users around this funding rate mechanism in times of high vol. Um, you don't want to use a centralized exchange for, you know, you have counterparty risk issues. Uh, what, what other reasons might someone kind of want to use synthetics versus, you know, continue to use a centralized exchange? Yeah. So, you know, funding rate is one component in fees, right? Like the other is like your fill price. And so, um, you know, if you're a like decent sized trader, but not like a whale, um, you know, this is, this is where I think the competitiveness of, uh, of DEXs has really improved over the last like six to 12 months. You can get better fills. Like you will get more, you will get better liquidity on a ton of markets, right? Um, you know, including like high cap markets all the way to like long tail markets, not necessarily every single trade. Um, but it's no longer like there's worse liquidity in principle on a DEX. And the only reason to use it is because, you know, ideological or whatever, right? Like you can, you can legit, you know, there's better ARB opportunities at times, there's better fill prices. Um, you know, there's, there's lower fees depending on the direction of the market you're going. Um, so, you know, like the, the, it's a, if you were a trader and you were saying, I'm not going to trade here at all, and I'm only going to trade here, you will get worse execution on average if you are not factoring this in as like one of your venues that you want to access. Now, if you're the type of trader that's like, I sit on Bybit and I don't touch anything else, all my assets are there. Okay, cool. Um, we're coming for you too. We're going to bring you across and say, don't be on Bybit for all of these reasons. And we're going to give you better execution, lower fees, mm. et cetera. Um, but if you're the type of trader that's trading on five different exchanges, depending on market movements or whatever, and you're not considering this as one of your venues, you're just obviously missing out at this point. Like it's unequivocal. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. Um, we haven't talked about the challenges with other perps. Um, I don't know if you want to go there or do you want to talk about something else? I know we got, you know, like, um, your time is valuable. So Kane's like, <laughs> look, I, I noted 1220 in the morning here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think like the, um, the, the interesting thing of, about uh, this is like, you are building in public, right? Um, and the trade-off that I believe that, that we get from building in public is not a personal benefit. You do not get a personal benefit from trading from, from building in public. Sorry. Um, you get a societal benefit. So like what does society want, right? Like society wants people to go out and do things, build things, try and generate new activity, whatever. And so society incentivizes people to go and take risks to do things by, you know, ideally providing them with a benefit if it works, right? Um, and so as a society, we should want like lower barriers to entry. We should want people to, um, you know, we should want to maximize the reward and minimize the downside, right? Um, ideally for society, we want hundreds of thousands of people going on making big bets for them, but small bets for society, 
That's how we progress, right? Um, and so when you look at DeFi, what you get is like this shared playing field where like you can pick and choose little bits from each thing and like everyone can learn from each other, right? Um, the barriers are lower. The learning uh, curve is, is less steep, right? Um, you can really, you know, pick things up very quickly. You can turn up and like see how people operate their entire organization just in discord. You can, you can work that out, right? Um, that is valuable to society. It's not valuable to Kane Warwick, right? It would be far better for me if we didn't publish how governance works. I would love it if like our competitors had no ability to like figure out, you know, all of the things that we've done over the years from like adopting an EIP style governance system to like, you know, there's a litany of things that we've done over the years to improve how synthetics works that have then uh, been adopted your by a synthetics uh, staking contract that was used um, everywhere. <laughs> Yeah. Like there's, yeah. as I say, like there's a long list, right? Like I'm sure, I'm sure that someone's done a tweet thread on it at some point, but uh, oh. you know, it would be far better if all of those things had been close from Kane Warwick. I would be, you know, mm -hmm. far better off personally, if all of those things had been closed source and I've been able to use them as my own proprietary thing to maximize the, the return. But the trade-off for me is I get to turn up like I did in 2016 and be like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? Like, how do we build these things? Oh, stable coins. Okay. And I was able to like bootstrap myself into this thing and be like, oh, there's a gap. There's a stable coin gap. Turns out there wasn't, but it looked like there was. And you know, you have a crack at it. Um, and so, you know, uh, like it was better for me to get in, but once you become an incumbent, right, it's far worse. Um, and so I think a lot of people like look at, you know, people borrowing from different protocols or whatever. And it's frustrating. Like communities are frustrated. They're like, they're stealing our stuff. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, like on some level it is right. Um, but like on a, on a personal level, it's bad for people to steal your stuff on a societal level. It's good. That's what we want. And that's why we do it. That's my like ideological reason for it. That's why we build in public. That's why we do open source stuff. So we don't do weird little, you know, business licensees, scammy things where it's like, it's open source-ish for, you know, until whatever, 2027 or something like that. Like, I just find yeah. all of that, like, not okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the Lindy effect that you get by building in public, like the, you still get some recognition to marginal recognition and it's just worth kind of revisiting. What are the modes in open source in this world of open source software development, I think the pace of innovation is faster. And, you know, I think the people that are pushing that will get rewarded in other ways, certainly not maybe like immediate financial, you know, like, I guess like IP stuff, you know, I think that the whole IP kind of monetization is, is just for lawyers, you know, and it, it just doesn't like the, the biggest challenge with investing in open source software pre crypto was that you didn't have a token as a coordination and incentivization layer. And I think that to me was the biggest novelty. All of a sudden you have a wrapper and you align developers and users collectively, especially early users and people that are contributing to even a DAO to earn part equity in a token, in a, in a network that is building in the open. And that's the connective tissue. Now, if the protocol is not shipping or working, people are gonna go elsewhere because there's no barrier which is a feature, not a bug. Like the standard is just higher, I think. It's it's bad for the protocol. It's good for the world, right? Like Yeah, like you know, the amount of consumer should, preference being yeah. created is massive and that's the biggest winner. We should abandon bad protocols. Like we shouldn't allow bad protocols to lock people in and not 
escape, right? It's actually funny you, you mentioned IP. I remember when we were shutting down the uh, the Haven uh, entities um, and the lawyers we were using to like go through that process. They were like, "But what will you do with the IP?" And I was like, "I don't care. Like, if it's like, what, like throw it in the heart. I guess you could care. You could now call them and say, "Well, Doe can take it and run with it." <laughs> <laughs> Or something like yeah. That. yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. I know. But it's like the only IP is the is the code, and it's open source. Like, there's nothing else. We don't care about the Haven logo, although maybe it's now worth something. Who knows? Kane, you've been on the pod now four or five, time, be- five times. He's I the number most. one, most. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, this well, one, well, like it's funny I considering the time differences here. Well, uh... <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm kind of cu- I'm curious to see how this plays. Um, it felt very rambly, um, even even by my own own rambly standards. So I'm I'm curious to see how how it lands. Yeah, um, well, gonna have to have you on again because I think, especially in bull markets, I, I, my anxiety level goes up higher than in bear markets. But I think it's important to have folks like you around to make sure that we're not losing sight of some of the mistakes that we've done over the years. Um, and it's so important to just keep that top of mind because, you know, there's another FTX out there brewing. You got to make sure that oh, it just doesn't get to the scale, sure. but it did. And yeah. and some of the learnings that I, I think synthetics has always been kind of a an incubation kind of field for a lot of ideas, people that have come out of the synthetics discord and community. Um, and, and a lot of the learnings that you guys have, had unfortunately or unfortunately have had to learn earlier than other protocols. And I think if other protocols can avoid those uh, and look at that, I think it would be um, pretty interesting. I think as a overall ecosystem kind of leapfrog prior mistakes that we've done. And um, yeah. Yeah. So most of, I guess as a wrap, most of your energy now is dedicated to Infinix. Like you're, you're kind of like 90% there and still. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on the, I'm on the Spartan council. So I get yeah. to get up early tomorrow morning for the Spartan Council uh, governance call. So that's going to be fun. Um, but yeah, the, like other than that, and you know, again, what's the point of the Spartan Council? The Spartan Council is really there to like vet the solution, right? Is this the right solution? That's that's our job. So we're not there to prioritize or you know decide what should be done. It's like we have an outcome. People go and try and coordinate to like get that outcome, and they turn up and they say is this it? And we say no or yes, like that's our job. Um, it's a pretty easy job to be honest, right? Like, you know, it when you see it, like you see a good solution, you're like, yes, that's the solution. Well done. Well implemented. Right. Um, someone turns up with some, you know, bridge to nowhere and you're like, that's not the solution. I'm sorry. And like, you can just tell. Yeah, for sure. Awesome, man. Well, it's great to have you as always. Um, thank you. Thanks guys. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks guys. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. We wanted to take a second to just remind you about our upcoming Digital Assets Summit in London, March 18th to 20th. Santi and I got your back. Seats are limited and we hooked you up with a 20% off discount code. It is Empire20. If you heard it earlier in the podcast, there's a little competition running at Blockworks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So when you register for the Digital Assets Summit, make sure you use our code Empire20. See you in London.